0: This week, President Biden also took to the podium to deliver his State of the Union speech, and he tried to strike a tone of unity during that. And at key points, it seems he succeeded. Speaking about the country's support for the Ukrainian people and opposition to Putin's invasion, Biden received applause from both sides of the aisle. He later highlighted issues that do garner bipartisan support, like fixing the opioid epidemic, funding the police, mental health, and fighting cancer. The Republican response focused on what we might be seeing in the midterm elections a focus on parents and education and hammering Biden on inflation. For more on all this, we'll speak to Julia Manchester, national political reporter at The Hill.
1: There was a big show of support from both sides of the aisle for Ukraine. I mean, you saw a lot of lawmakers wearing royal blue and yellow, as well as the Ukrainian sunflower. You saw Ukrainian flags. You saw First Lady Jill Biden have the US, the Ukrainian ambassador to the United States as her guest. So that was a major moment. And you're right, Oscar, it's very rare that you see these moments of bipartisan applause, but it absolutely shows really where we are at this moment when it comes to the issue of uh, Russia invading Ukraine.
0: He particularly got some uh, a good applause when he said that he was going to start going after the Russian oligarchs and creating kind of a new commission to to investigate them, see where the money's going, all that, seize their assets, including their yachts. You know, that was a, a particularly a, a good moment there for him as well.
1: In terms of the Russian ol- oligarchs, um, there are obviously a number of Russian oligarchs living in the United States, as well as other Western nations, including the United Kingdom. And this is something that Western nations have really been trying to stake out: is going, you know, against these oligarchs because we know that you know they are very much connected to Putin, Putin very much controls them, and they have a big stake in Russian wealth and the Russian economy. So that's a big portion of this and I think that's a you know something that lawmakers on both sides of the aisle really want to see happen in this and there is not an appetite for you know involvement in a foreign conflict at this moment. Additionally, we know that the Biden administration has faced a lot of backlash for their involvement in that chaotic withdrawal from Afghanistan. So this is how I think this is how we're going to see the West really respond. Russia is through these oligarchs, but also through sending military aid to Ukraine and humanitarian aid to Ukraine. We're already seeing that happen.
0: We did see the president speak Republicans' language on a few issues, most notably when it start, he started talking about you know, the pandemic a little bit, you know, saying how he wants to keep businesses and schools open. And obviously the CDC said, change their guidance on mask wearing, defund the police came up. He said, we shouldn't be defunding the police. We should be funding them. And that's another moment where GOP leaders stood up and started applauding as well. There was a list of issues that he said, we can get this stuff done. Mental health was one of them, uh, fighting the opioid crisis. He tried to make as much common ground as he could.
1: Absolutely. And on that issue of funding the police, this is something for a while that Biden and really his side of the Democratic Party have been pushing for. We know that in the summer of 2020 and you know, going into 2021, there were lots of calls to defund the police um, as a means of dealing with this awful epidemic of police violence against unarmed black Americans. However, I think there is another, you know, side of this argument that would say it's not that we need to take funding away from police. We need to make sure they're getting that proper training. They're getting proper bias training. And they are also, you know, departments are removing police officers who are exhibiting poor behavior or, you know, harmful behavior from their ranks. So I think that's something that Biden is pushing for. We are seeing crime rise. Across the country. And from his perspective, from Biden's perspective, the only way to deal with that is to make sure police officers have the resources to deal with that. Now, liberals would say that should be done by funding community centers and other parts of local government. But this is very much Biden pushing back against that Republican messaging point that Democrats want to defund the police. We saw that Republicans made gains in the House of Representatives in 2020 by tying Democratic incumbents and candidates to this message of defund the police and it appeared to work.
0: Coronavirus, obviously uh, a huge issue. Really, the president kind of saying, we're moving into this next phase now. Obviously, you saw most of the people in chamber not wearing masks anymore. A marked change from what happened last year. And he laid out some four main goals that he wanted to do to help with this. Uh, Obviously, he wants to continue vaccinations, continue vaccinations worldwide. Uh, Something brand new, uh, a new test to treat initiative, which which I think it would be really good. Basically, if you go to certain pharmacies or clinics and you test positive, they'll be able to give you these antiviral pills that have been shown, proven to work against COVID and keep you out of the hospital. You can get those on the spot. And, you know, that's something that obviously we needed to wait for those pills to be available. But man, is that a good idea?
1: It is a good idea, and I think this is something you're going to see the administration and Democrats tout as some of their major accomplishments when it comes to COVID going into the midterms. We know that Republicans have very much been messaging on this issue of Democrats being hypocritical when it comes to coronavirus restrictions, um, and you even saw that messaging during the State of the Union last night with a re- lot of Republicans saying, well, Biden was not a mask last week. Why is he suddenly not in the mask. Now, clearly, this is all about political theater and wanting to make a political point and wanting to benefit off of not wearing a mask. Now, I will point out that the Washington, D.C. mask mandate was rolled back yesterday. And we've seen a lot of restrictions in the city, including on Capitol Hill, have been lifted. So that was part of that. But it goes into how restrictions are really playing these, you know, maybe the case of rolling back restrictions are playing into the narrative when it comes to the debate over the coronavirus in the political realm.
0: President Biden did take time to talk about other parts of his agenda, maybe that Republicans don't necessarily like uh, the Build Back Better plan, although We're not calling it that anymore. That's not the name of it. So he didn't mention it in that sense of it that way. But some of the things that he wanted to get done through that, he mentioned. He also talked a lot about infrastructures and those other things.
1: He did. And, um, you know, when it comes to build back better, I think he's walking a fine line, obviously wanting to appease those progressives and members of his party that want those those initiatives in that government spending package, whether that's lowering prescription drug costs or providing affordable or free childcare, a uh, universal preschool, that kind of a thing. So he's talking about how he wants to get really the meat of build back better past, but not in the same package as build back better, because we know that Joe Manchin in particular, who interestingly was sitting with Republicans last night, was really a thorn in the administrations and Democrats side on this. And, you know, a member of his own party was the reason Manchin was the reason why Biden couldn't pass that legislative achievement.
0: I did want to mention the Republican response. This was delivered by Governor Kim Reynolds of Iowa and really pushed back on a lot of the things that President Biden said and kind of set the stage for a lot of the stuff we're going to be seeing in the midterms. She did talk about Ukraine and Russia and said that he wasn't hasn't been as strong. He's been showing a lot of weakness. You know, just to push back on that a little bit, the United States is not the he's not the president of the world. A lot of these actions need to be done in conjunction with our European allies when you talk about taking, them out of, uh, taking Russia out of SWIFT or big sanctions on oil and gas, I mean, those economies are tied to that so much more than we are. That has to be done with their approval. It's not like President Biden can just declare it and it's going to happen. So there's a little bit of pushback there. But one of the big messages that we did see was Republicans being pro-parent. Republicans believe that parents matter when it comes to education. And that's going to be a huge one when it comes to the midterms.
1: Absolutely, that's what the main point that Republicans have been making, especially in the wake of the coronavirus pandemic. You saw that really work well in Virginia. And in New Jersey to some extent, and you're trying, you're seeing them really taking a page out of that playbook going into the midterms. I think there's a question as to whether, you know, how this pro parent messaging will work at the federal level. Obviously, Glenn Youngkin, as Virginia's governor, has a lot more say in the Virginia school systems than maybe a member of Congress does, for example. However, you're seeing the Republicans' message on this by saying Democrats are beholden to teachers' unions. They're beholden to this idea of being, quote-unquote, woke and wanting to be fashionable, if you will, or trendy, or when they're talking about these issues in the classroom. So this is something you're going to continue to hear from Republicans going forward. It seems that Democrats haven't really formulated the best response yet. They're still trying to figure out how to very much push back against this education problem. But it seems to be working with Republicans who are really appeasing or trying to appease parents who are frustrated with, you know, their kids being out of school or being virtual and, you know, being held back or being behind in their education because of these
0: policies. Julia Manchester, national political reporter at The Hill, thank you very much for joining us.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: Finally, for this week, doctors around the world are reporting that patients are coming in with the sudden onset of Tourette's-like tics. Particularly, they're seeing more teenage girls, which do not fit the typical profile of someone with Tourette's. And more interesting, many of them seem to share the same outburst, leading some to believe that social media could be behind it. Theories have gone around suggesting it could be mass psychogenic illness or another condition called functional neurological disorder. For more on what could be behind these new style tics, we'll speak to Helen Lewis Staff writer at the Atlantic.
2: The typical Tourette's patient is a is a boy who presents for the first time about age five to seven with very simple vocalizations or motor tics, so blinking or coughing. So, you know, that's the kind of person that these Tourette specialists, pediatric Tourette specialists, are used to seeing a lot of. And then as time goes on, often their, their tics will, will develop. And, you know, the kind of sh- sort of swearing and cursing and um, saying socially unacceptable things, that's there's only about a fifth of people actually do that. You know, it's, the, it's one of the things that you most associate with the illness because it's one of the things that's most kind of eye-catching. But um, it's, it's not actually something that everybody with threats with does. But this new population were different. You know, they were arriving over the last couple of years in, in these clinics. And, you know, in some cases, they'd had mild tics before, and now they were having sort of sudden explosive attacks of tics. Or in some cases, you know, they hadn't got a history at all, and they'd, they'd kind of come out of nowhere. And one of the things that was most telling to me when I talked to the German doctors about this is that, you know, some of the specific phrases that some of these mostly girls were saying were ones that they associated with, you know, people, influences on the Internet, Tourette's influences, as I call them. So it wasn't that hard to kind of trace back to the kind of content they might be watching a lot of on the Internet.
0: Yeah. And that was the thing that clicked for the doctors is that commonality, right? They were developing these things later in life. They were saying a lot of the same phrases and actions. And that's the thing that was clicking for them. And a lot of this stuff was being done. A lot of this early work was being done in Germany where the doctors were seeing some of this specific stuff happening.
2: Yeah, there's um, an influencer who's very big on YouTube called Jan Zimmerman, and he's got these very specific vocalizations. So he'll say, Fliegen der High, which means flying sharks, or Du bist hässlich," which means you're ugly. And these were the exact same phrases that were coming out of the, the mouths of teenagers. Actually, it's about 50-50 gender split in, in Germany, although almost everywhere else in the world, it's been more girls than boys. So they would obviously ask the children, you know, have you been watching? this influence and lots of them would be really cagey about it actually and that was an interesting dynamic that they found too and the thesis that i develop in the piece is really that talking about children who have had a really rough couple of years you know lots of covid disrupted schooling lots of worry about the pandemic some of them might live in families where people have lost jobs or been laid off or been on furlough or other kinds of things and and what i hope people get from this article is a level of sympathy you know these i would just be absolutely clear about this these children are not faking an illness these teenagers have something that is causing them quite severe distress. It's just quite important to say that it doesn't look like Tourette's and it shouldn't be treated like Tourette's.
0: No one's arguing that the pandemic caused this, but the lockdowns and all that could have exacerbated this stuff, especially when people are going on social media. As you mentioned, this uh, uh, Zimmerman uh, fellow had 2 million YouTube followers. And when you go to uh, TikTok, I mean, there's billions of views for hashtag Tourette's and things like that. So, I mean, this is where people that might be afflicted with something like this or feel these new style tics they find community with others and acceptance and validation, and then that could promote more of it happening. There are also other theories of what's going on, something called mass psychogenic illness. And there was an interesting thing that happened in Leroy, New York, that really started getting people thinking a different way about all this.
2: Yeah. So what happened in Leroy is that a a group of girls suddenly started sort of shaking and spasming and twitching. And there there was a You know, it was a big, as as often happens in these cases, there were lots of cheerleaders involved, although there were also, you know, they weren't all in the same class, which is what you would classically see with an outbreak of kind of contagious ticks of that kind. And the, the sad thing about what happened in Norway was that the, the families were absolutely convinced there was some kind of environmental problem. Erin Brockovich, you might remember from being played by Julia Roberts, turned right. up you know, to try and, and prosecute this thesis, but there there wasn't anything happening. You know, What had happened was that these girls had got quite stressful lives in a number of different ways and they had had this effect on each other. And as you say, the diagnosis is mass psychogenic illness. That used to be called mass hysteria, but that's now seen as a kind of outdated and offensive term because this isn't about silly women you know creating something out of nothing this is about very real psychic stress in people's lives kind of coming out of them in physical symptoms
0: yeah and in that case there was about uh, 18 people that developed some of this uh, mostly as you mentioned the cheerleaders there was one boy there was also a 36 year old woman and there was a lot of media attention as you mentioned all of this kind of amps up that stress, and a lot of it started going away once the story started dying down. So that kind of led them to believe, you know, there was no environmental thing there, it, you know, it wasn't a more serious, nefarious thing going on.
2: Right. And I think it's one of the things that people maybe have difficulty understanding is that when you talk about things being mass psychogenic illnesses, you're not saying there's there's nothing wrong with people. You're saying perhaps it's just not the thing that you might superficially think. And you know, that applies to lots of other things, Gulf War Syndrome, for example, when you had soldiers who came back from the Gulf War and wondered if there had been some kind of munition that had been used against them. But actually, it was now what we'd call post-traumatic stress syndrome. Lots of the cases of Havana syndrome, where there's, there's been talk about this being a sort of sonic weapon that's been used on diplomats. Well, the army has now come out and said, there are a handful of unexplained cases, but we feel pretty confident about saying that the rest of them are, fall into this category of psychological and social illness. So it's you know it's something that happens a lot through history. You can put down the kind of you know the Salem witch hunts to down to to something like this. It's you know it's extraordinary. I, there was so much stuff I had to cut out of the article. So <laughs> right. much interesting research. Benjamin Franklin used to go around with this musical instrument called a glass harmonica, and people decided that it was causing all these terrible symptoms and people were fainting. And of course he played it until pretty ripe old age with absolutely no ill effects at all. But it was a new technology. And that in itself seems to have provoked some kind of you know, adverse reaction in some people.
0: So is the new argument that what we were seeing in these situations with these teenage girls developing these ticks, is it a form of mass psychogenic illness because they're consuming so much of this on social media, on platforms like TikTok and so forth, or is it something else? Uh, you know, others call these things functional tics. You know, which is just kind of things that kind of get exacerbated by other influences. it, it is, you know, where, where are we leaning towards now with the argument?
2: The fact is that there are some patients for whom simply saying, you know, this is not Tourette's. This is something that is being really wound up in you by consuming this kind of content. Dial down on watching that. That makes you know not sometimes makes the problem go away sometimes really diminishes it so there are definitely patients who fall into that category there might be other ones who do have something like mild Tourette, something they call people perhaps who are tick prone you know in the same way that some of us are prone to stress eating for example and, you know, most of the time it's it, we're, we're in control, but you have a really stressful life event and suddenly you can't kind of get your face out of the fridge. And the similar thing might happen with tics. You know, you might be somebody who is who is prone to reacting to stress or trauma in that way. So it's, you know, it's, it's, it's very hard to make blanket diagnoses about individuals. But certainly the Tourette's Association of America, and I think this is really important, has tried to distinguish between these new style tics and classic Tourette's, not least because one of the ways you treat Tourette's is with antipsychotic drugs, really quite quite strong drugs. And they are useless on, on, on functional tics, on ones that are not caused by Tourette's. So you absolutely don't want to be prescribing those to under 18s unless they're medically necessary. So although you know it will cause a bit of a backlash, I'm sure to say you don't have the condition that you think you do, that's something that needs to be said so that people don't end up getting the wrong
0: treatment. Right. And so what is, has there been any type of treatment for the new style ticks? Obviously, we're not going to give them the drugs and anything, but is it, is it counseling? Is it therapy? I mean, what are they, how do they try to treat this at least?
2: Right. They try and look at people in, in the round and see what else is going on in their lives. And for some people that might be, you know, cognitive behavioral therapy, there are types of retraining. Because, you know, if you sit, the idea is that the ticks are kind of giving people something, they're giving people an outlet for something. Well, actually, how can you retrain the pathways of the brain in order that you, you don't do that anymore? You don't put yourself into a kind of feedback loop. For some of them, medication for anxiety or depression might be appropriate. For others, it might be about talking therapies. But what it means is just making sure that, you know, the people who've got these tics get the right treatment. And that often involves steering them away from the wrong treatment.
0: Helen Lewis, staff writer at The Atlantic. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you. That's it for this weekend. Be sure to check out The Daily Dive every Monday through Friday. Join us on social media, at Daily Dive Pod on Twitter, and Daily Dive Podcast on Facebook. Leave us a comment, give us a rating, and tell us the stories that you're interested in. Follow The Daily Dive on iHeartRadio, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. This episode of The Daily Dive has been engineered by Tony Sorrentino. I'm Oscar Ramirez in Los Angeles, and this was your Daily Dive Weekend Edition.